Are you ready, Rob, to record the most amazing podcast that the world has ever heard? Yes, sir. Dan, are you ready? Absolutely. All right. Now that our coffee is in our veins, I think we're ready for the best podcast ever. And with that energy being said, (laughs) welcome to the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. My name is Tim Whitaker with my host, of course, Rob, and our new, 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 because this is our third, I think, different host, co-host on the show, Dan. I don't even know your last name. Dan McCarthy. Dan McCarthy. In my phone, you're you're Dan Resonate. Dan Resonate. Because I know you from Resonate. Don't you love how when you don't know a person's last name, you either put an instrument behind them that they play or your context that you they every know. time are you the same way Rob oh, I feel awful oh, absolutely. When I because I mean people at work it is okay this person Apple this yep. person Apple people yep. I play music with this person guitar this yep. person drums or it's you know this person resonate drums whatever it would be but I don't feel bad because I'll tell you what's worse what's worse is getting a text from that person with their with their last name in there and not knowing who the heck it is and kind of faking it <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that is what is worse. I would that rather have you labeled than, yes. than than to, you know, somehow try and like, you know, just kind of make up things like, oh, yeah, buddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How, how are things? It's definitely the worst. I mean, my <laughs> sister-in-law still has me in her phone. I've been married for three years. She still has me as Rob Julia. Rob Julia. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm, I have people on my phone as like with like weird last names or nicknames. Like I have someone in my phone. Actually, it's Jordan, our, our, our other co-host who couldn't make it tonight. He is in my phone as Judge Judy. And it was from like one small <laughs> little joke. I'm like, you know what? I'm making that your name in my phone. And probably close to four years later, it's still in my phone <laughs> as Judge Judy. My other, my roommate, he's in my phone as Overdog because one time he was like, yeah, you know, the underdog overdog ratio. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's so hilarious. That's going in my phone as well. And that hasn't been changed. So I definitely have some weird contact names in there that are just no one would ever get. And they look completely ridiculous, but I have them. So Um, Rob, real quick, uh, before we we move on here, your wife told you the truth last week of of your coffee expertise. Um, Is it true that, that after we left and we didn't say anything about the coffee, that your wife was the truth teller here and dumped the coffee out? Yeah, I, I sent a text to Tim and Jordan after they had left apologizing for the crappy coffee. And I got a, as my wife and I sat down, she poured herself a cup of coffee. We sat down at the table. She took one sip and almost spew it all over the wall. <laughs> and I was like, they drank this? This is awful. <laughs> So I, I had to apologize for such crappy coffee. Well, but I mean, what am I going to say on the podcast? Like, Rob, this, thanks for hosting us. Your coffee sucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to blame it on the car accident. That's that's what was the blame there. Okay, you know what? I think that that is fair. You were still fresh off of the accident, so we'll we'll blame it on the cough, or on the accident. Now, what are you brewing us this week? Oh, it's uh, another rare breed of <laughs> Duncan Donas. <laughs> ah, that foreign blend I see. Yes, uh, yes. To me, it tastes fine. I mean, Dan, what do you think? Coffee's good. It's you good, know, right? Put a lot of cream, a lot of sugar in there. Well, I think I'm. I think I'm the. That's oddball a whole different discussion. Group, You're so. definitely the oddball out there. I mean, but we hey, call that adulterating your coffee. Anything <laughs> is better with, with uh, cream and sugar in it. So we're good. <laughs> you know, the only thing, the only kind of coffee I put, I put cream in is Wawa coffee, and okay. it's not because I don't like the, the way it tastes. It's just habit for me. When I was younger, I would mm-hmm. just always put. I always do the uh, the French vanilla coffee mm-hmm. with the French vanilla creamer. 
Absolutely. I just find yep. that a yep. great combination. So, but every other coffee I try and I usually do black, especially like a, a good French press or Starbucks now has what's called clover. Have you guys heard of this before? I have heard of the clover. Yep. Have you, Rob? I have not. The clover, it's actually really good. What they do is they first off they have all these these different kinds of like rare rare uh, like coffee blends that you can pick up like you know uh, Jamaican blue or you know organic this or organic that and they charge you like six dollars for a cup instead of three but what they do is they grind it fresh in Starbucks. front of you and they have this machine and they pour it into the top of this machine and then hot water goes in it and they stir it up and then the machine like it sucks it down through like a some kind of filter but it's very fresh it's kind of like a reverse french press if if such a mm. thing would mm. exist and uh, it's really good coffee. I mean, it's for me, it's worth the extra buck or two because I always do the real small eight ounce coffee. I'm, I'm a short guy. That's what it's called. So it's always like an extra dollar. But for me, the blend is much better. So. And this podcast is brought to you by Starbucks. Oh, yes. And another one of our faithful sponsors. So. That's correct. Starbucks, get your coffee today. <laughs> if you get a chance, read the book, The Starbucks Experience. I'm currently reading it right now. Yeah. Talking all about how about Starbucks has built the brand based on their okay. whole customer experience and you know, and just how they buy workers in to, to stay in there long term, you know. Really kind of owning it and kind of serving their community and, you know, this experience kind of a coffee shop, which is just unlike any other coffee shop that had ever kind of existed before. So right. kind of challenging me personally just in kind of ministry context to really look kind of through the lens of what Starbucks is doing. So that it's pretty, is pretty definitely phenomenal. Yeah, that is uh, that's cool. So let me ask you this. Um, does it paint the company in a very positive light, or is it more of a negative light? Because I know a lot of big corporations, especially in this day and sure. age, are coming under fire more and more for questionable practices. How about in this book? No, the book is completely about what Starbucks is doing that's successful that you can apply to your own business and life. Okay. And so some of the principles that they're talking about is just the buy-in on the customer's end, giving the freedom as leaders to challenge the process, but bring people in with the decisions so then they take ownership. Um, they're talking about just so they do everything with excellence, their attention to detail, um, kind of that whole process of writing the names on the cups, how that was very innovative for their time and save 20 seconds instead of walking the cup down to people and just, just all of those things. So it's, okay. it's actually very, very It sounds like a very, really very interesting positive. read. So I'll have to check that out for sure. Are, are you reading it on digital or uh, did, you, did you buy the book? Reading it hard copy. Are you, yeah, you're, yeah. you're still old school. You're still hanging on. You know... I, I I do both. I do both. But okay. I really love audiobook. Audiobook's where it's at for me. Me too. Yeah. I'm the same way. Are yep. you an audiobook guy, Rob? I'm a I'm a paperback kind of guy. I, oh, yeah. I like Ooh. to smell a book. Four and different read highlighters, it. you know, That's different correct. colors. Okay, you're that guy. Yeah, I gotcha. oh definitely. Audiobook's where it's at. You <laughs> me just too. throw it on in the car. Yep. And uh yeah. Oh, I really love it. By really far, love my it. favorite way because I'm so busy anyway. And, and yeah. when I do sit down to read a book, my mind's going so many other places. You can't I find even that focus when, on yeah, the book. I find that when I'm in my car, and maybe I'm just built more for that listening mentality, but I just enjoy zoning out, listening to a book, and kind of going from there. Mm -hmm. I'm bummed though because there's a book I want to read. Um, I'm a you know I'm a drummer, obviously. So Travis Barker, the drummer for Blink One Eight Two, yep. has had a huge influence on my drumming life, and he just came out with a book, kind of chronically his whole kind of chronicling his whole life with drug abuse and just his marriage falling apart and where he is now. And I want to read it, but it's not available on audio. And I, I probably would try my best to sit down and read it on hard copy, but I just don't know if I can commit to doing the whole thing. That's what we, and it would kill yep. me to have the book and never go through the whole yep. thing. That would kill well, me. Well, Tim, so. for 15 bucks, I'll read it and record myself <laughs> reading it, and you can just listen to it. Sold, sold. <laughs> Your voice is pretty soothing, so. Oh, my gosh, that would be... You know, that's a good idea. 
Maybe we could do a whole podcast episode where you just read a book for four and a half hours straight. <laughs> I think people will be paying us not to do that again. Yeah, so. I would believe so. All right, awesome. Well, Dan, so listen, I mean, we asked you on the show today. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I really have only met recently. We've only met yep. the past, yep. uh, what, two months or so? Yeah, mid September, we met at that barbecue. Right, and yep, so you yep. are, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you are the the youth slash worship pastor over at Calvary, Calvary Church in Delran. Okay, um, I've been there. It'll be two years in January that I've been there. Okay, so, came straight out of college, uh, graduated college, went to school at Oral Roberts University in yeah, Tulsa, absolutely. Oklahoma. Absolutely, I graduated in December, and then kind of started right early January. So okay, yeah, that's what I've been doing these now. Last did two years. you did you grow up in the church your whole life? Were you always a church kid, or did you kind yeah, of come yeah. around to it? Great question. So I grew up in the church. Uh, raised Assemblies of God, you know, accepted the Lord, five years old in the children's, oh, yeah. the Bible school Sunday, and then every single Sunday you're raising your hand to accept Christ again. <laughs> yes. you know? Just to make sure, right? Yep, yeah, yep. absolutely. You know, got filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, at a church setting, you know, at a Sunday night service experience, went to the camp, so very much grew up in the church. Okay, so. gotcha. Okay, and then, so what got you into ministry? Because obviously it's not really an easy road for most people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or, I, I tell this to, to most of my students who actually are looking into ministry that— yeah. You know, be very sure that the Lord's called you because that's probably not not something that you're going to last in if you haven't been called to. Even even I know just from two years of doing it. So right. um, I was on a mission trip. I still remember where it was. Eighth grade, uh, Nicaragua, third world country. Uh, we were doing a lot of VBS outreach and saw about, you know, a thousand people make decisions for Christ in a week. Now, who's to say that anyone followed up on that? Who's to say that they got them connected to a local church? Who's to say that they actually really grew in their faith and got the word of God in them? But I really kind of felt at the end of the week, the Lord kind of just dropped this thought in my heart that I I knew it was so clearly from him. He said, if this is what could happen in a week, there's nothing really worth more doing than reaching people for Christ. And so I just knew at the end of that week that that was what I was called to. And at that point, I thought it was more a cross-cultural setting. Um, But it's just been cool to just kind of see uh, just kind of a love for the local church and just kind of a heart for South Jersey and just kind of just be planted here for some time. So yeah, um, that's that's awesome. Um, now you also oversee the like the musical side of things as well. There, sure. So were you always musical growing up as well? Yeah, yeah. So I I grew up playing the drums. I started playing when I was in second Found grade. The drummer, I love um, it. Loved it. Started playing lessons. You know, reading the sheet music and saying that. You know, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna use this again. This is, this is stupid. Just teach me how to play beats. Oh yeah, yes, you know, and yes. I hate it. What is a sixteenth yeah. note? Right, What's an eighth right. Who note? Cares, Who cares right. about triplets and paradiddles? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and I hated exactly. doing that. Right. Um, but then it, it laid actually a great foundation for me. Played in the school band, and then uh, my freshman year of high school, we had a super, super talented girl. She's actually signed kind of record labels with Capital Christian Music, you know, down in Nashville. Wow. Uh, went off to North Central and uh, in, in Michigan. Uh, Minnesota, sorry, Minnesota for college, and um, kind of the worship leader's position was open. The youth pastor just handed me a guitar and said, hey, you know four chords. You're going to play. Time to go. And yeah. <laughs> uh, it was painful. It was terrible. <laughs> I was trying to lead a band, and I, I couldn't play more than four. But it was, a, it was just a season of just growing and learning and teaching yourself. Yeah. And um, so by my sophomore, junior, senior year, I was leading kind of worship for the middle school and high school youth groups we had back home. Yeah. Went off to college and, you know, majored in pastoral ministries, but studied kind of worship as a minor. Sure. And so that's kind of how it fit when um, church kind of uh, transitioned. We had, you know, some pastors leave and the worship pastor spot open. The lead pastor just said, hey, you know, we can just, you know, kind of kind of give you this responsibility of taking over the worship as well. And thankfully, there's just been a great team at the church and so you know very very passionate about worship and, and that's it's fun uh to, fun it, it's funny you say that because i grew up of course playing music in the church as well sure. and when you're playing with better musicians than you or you're forced to lead when you're not comfortable doing that you grow real quick absolutely uh that, absolutely. that yeah uh, the the feet to the fire it, it really makes it 
makes makes you skyrocket yeah, quick. So that's yeah. a cool story, though. I mean, I never really knew that. I knew that you played drums, but I didn't know to what extent and stuff like that. So that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, now where you are, like in your, you know, I mean, your full time ministry, sure. which some people might say, well, you know, well, I think I think part of the rub, and I'm sure you understand this too, is that. I feel like when you're in that full-time ministry, it's like, how do you get out of, out of your own bubble a little yeah. bit? You know, how yeah, do you yeah, get yeah. outside of the four walls of the church? Where do you find yourself now as far as, like, passions? Are you, I mean, are you, you know, I don't think, well, from, from your story, it sounds like youth wasn't, like, your top thing. Right. But that's what you're doing now at the church. Right. Do you, st- have you kind of fallen in love with that over time? Is yeah, that why, like, you know, why I, you're still, I think do- that's, you're still I doing think it? I think that's a great question. And whenever somebody asks me like that, I'm, I'm just very real and almost transparent with them when I say that. You know, I, I kind of felt initially coming to this church was more so going to be a stepping stone to get me to a cross-cultural setting. Gotcha. You know, being assemblies of God that you'd have yeah. to get credentialed and ordained before you can kind of even walk through sure. the missions process. So Yeah, AG, for those of you who don't know this, are very, uh, they're very big on, on, on world missions. They really are passionate about that, uh, which is awesome. So that makes a lot of sense why and you would so, be a um, part of But that. I say that to say that, that once I landed there, uh, the Lord just really gave me a passion for the students. And so it's just been awesome to just build relationship, build rapport, and, and see the ministry grow and double and just students connecting with Christ and then owning their faith and their church. And, and uh, so, it, you know, really a love for the local church. I, I say this to people all the time. I never thought that I would love the pastoral experience as much as I do. So it's just kind of cool to see, like, when God's called you to something. I often believe that God doesn't, you know, you know, often call the qualified, but yeah. he qualifies those who he's called. And yeah. so, you know, just, just being open and available to, to God calling. Nah, I mean, listen, I, I think when I was younger, I used to envy that position of like, man, if only I could just be in full-time ministry, getting paid to hang out. But man, not anymore. I do not envy your position, frankly. I just don't. I don't envy it. It's a tough job. It's yeah. really tough. And I think it's, it's uh, it could be dry for a lot of people. And you, I'm sure you know the numbers, Dan. Like, you know, a lot sure. of pastors... It doesn't end well in, in, in a lot of ways, and there's a yeah. lot of reasons for that, you know. Yeah, but I think it's, it's, it's like tough. A couple thousand pastors a year yeah. in ministry full yeah. time, uh, for whatever reasons. If it's financial struggle, if it's burnout, if it's you know church, you know, kind of railroaded them out, you know. Sure. And so, uh, but that's really just where you you just got to be refreshed and just full of the Spirit, full of the Lord, and in, in your life and your walk, so and everything you do. Well, I think that's what's what's difficult, um, and kind of like just a huge paradox is how the church um i think theologically you know so many churches usually are sound and, and they, no one would disagree that yes that we're, we're one in christ and you know it's one church Absolutely. and you know we, we want to care for each other yet yet and i know you know and rob i know you know as well we we, we know the casualties like we have we know we yeah. know the people who have been have been frankly just hurt by the church whether they were in the right or the wrong the, the, at the end of the day, they ended up getting really hurt, and it's tough because yeah. you almost think like, man, what are we doing, and how do we how do we help this? Because I feel like um, I feel like anyone I talk to in the church has a story somewhere at some point. Yeah, and it's tough. Yeah, I mean, it's something to think about, you know, because you know, I think oftentimes we kind of have this mindset: oh, we got to grow as a church, and we got to you know be this next mega church, and we got to beat this church next door, and you right. know, you may be growing at the expense of someone's job you right. know as, or what's to say that your you know congregation isn't leaving to go where there's greener pastures and, and then out goes a job you know my professor said this in college he said some of you are training and praying for jobs which means you're 
people that jobs you're going to be taking some days are going to out other people of jobs because yeah. you're more qualified or experienced. And so I don't know how that all works. Yeah. You know, all I can understand is that God's sovereign at the end of the day. And our goal is to, is to reach lost people, right. not steal people. But uh, right. at the same time, I, I think that's something that we have to deal with and, and kind of a question we have to ask. You know, it's other. funny you say that. Um, I think I think when you and I got coffee, I was telling you this, how I was part of a group of people who at one point we met on Wednesday nights at my house, just kind of thinking yep. through mm. some of these church things. Yep. And, you know, we got to the point where just with some basic, probably not educated math, but just a general number, we 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 did we figured out that there are roughly about 3.1 churches per square mile in Jersey when you average them all out throughout right. all the cities and stuff, you know. Right. And it does make you wonder, like, why aren't we talking more? Why aren't we working together more? And I think what you said, um, that competition level, man, I, I think it's just, unfortunately, I think it's very true for a lot of people. Yep. And the ones who want to build the body together are automatically um, kind of assumed by other people that, well, your intentions can't be pure. Somehow there's something in it for you that we can't see that if we help you do this, yep. we won't get credit for and your church will get credit for or vice versa. Yep. Yep. You know, but at, at the end of the day, I, I just firmly believe that that the gospel is just not about getting credit, you know, and, and almost God honors the people who are, are most likely to defer credit, you know, and kind of give it away. And so, you know, I just think that there just needs to be a paradigm shift, you know, as a church. What are we looking at and what are we working towards? You know, if our goal is to is to compete with the church next door, then that's what we're going to do. And we're going to steal people from each other. But if right. our goal is to is to win Cherry Hill or win West Hampton or win Delrin, right. well, hey, we got a whole bunch of thousands of people there. Right. We don't need to worry about what's happening in Cherry Hill. You exactly know, worry about right. How can we work collectively together? So a couple uh, a couple of years ago, I was reading an article, um, and it was about some churches down in South, uh, like South Carolina, or down in that Bible Belt okay. area. And they were in the interview. I mean, they pretty much admitted that that they were just trying to outdo each other as far as how how big their Sunday morning was to yep. win people into their doors. Yep. Um, yep. And you read that, and you go. What? Like, how do we come this far? What went wrong? I mean, and look, I mean, anyone can argue, well, it's the sin nature. No matter how long we're here on earth, there's, sure. there's going to be problems. And sure. I, I agree. I'm, I'm not I'm not an idealist that extremely. However, though, it does make you wonder, well, what can we do to change that mindset? Because that's a really toxic mindset yeah. that I think the enemy, the devil, really uses to kind of subvert the church. Absolutely. Um, and I think we've lost a lot of ground because we've picked some really stinky battles that really were just the wrong battles to pick that the enemy, I think, really helped to fuel a lot. Like, yeah, you, you should fight them. You should be against this or you should be poaching from other churches. You, you need better graphics than them. You need a better stage design. You need better lights. You know, and it, did you see what this church down the street's doing for their, you know, outreach and the Easter exactly. egg hunt? And, exactly. You know, I, I think there should be a drive towards excellence and, and pushing each other and, and brainstorming and, and ideas and resourcing and, and taking from each other and, and kind of learning and growing. But you know, not at the expense of we're going to, you know, kind of fight for people or fight to be the coolest church in town. So, yeah, know, I hear you. So, Rob, I, I want to get to you because I'll be I'll be honest now that we're live and we're recording. I kind of set you guys up a little bit because you have very different um, uh, church styles as far as what you attend, how you attend it and why you attend uh, or, or are part of a different uh I guess a different expression of the same God. Because at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. You know, there's right. no denying any any major theological things. Yeah. But Rob, I want to hear now. I mean, you heard our conversation. I know that you agree with us, but the but your expression of 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 that disagreement looks radically different from you know from 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 Dan's ministry or even from my ministry. So I mean, why don't you explain a little bit, kind of like maybe a little bit about your story and also kind of how you got to where you are with the church that you attend and that you're a part of and why why you do. So I attend probably the most conservative church you'll ever walk into, without a doubt. 
Um, we still practice head coverings. We still practice silence of women. We practice all of the things that are in the New Testament. So I, I knew what I was getting into. Tim kind of warned me. So <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> it, it didn't really catch me off guard. And this not, is great. This is great. <laughs> but don't worry, Dan. I'm not going to attack you. I'm not that type of person. Uh, I mean, if I was going to attack you, I would attack Tim first. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Same team right at the end of the day. Right. And um, so where I, where I attend is really where I grew up. So I grew up in this church. Um, uh, my dad actually was raised Catholic. And then he met my mom and wasn't saved when they got married. My mom uh, had gotten saved. Um, and then my dad, after having a couple of kids, got saved and then joined this local church that we are all of part of. Uh, all of the rest of my family has moved on um, to different states. Uh, we're covering four states now, I think. Um, but I, have, I moved back to New Jersey, and I go to this Pensacola Gospel Hall, it's called. Um, so it's much different from where Tim would go, much different from where Dan would go. Um, we don't use instruments in worship. There's no head pastor. Uh, there's, a, there's just a lot of differences on where we, where we would stand. Um, but that aside, um, I definitely see the, the value of working together in the gospel. Uh, however... Where, where something comes into my mind is the, the commission of Christ was, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. So say, Dan, you and I went out and saw a convert. We're going to have very, very different discipling attitudes towards sure. that person. Sure. And I think that's, that's where some of the danger comes in, in these joining of forces, because when we start to... Uh, have converts start to have people come to Christ, and now they're looking to us for discipling. Now they're seeing two vastly different things, and they're getting two vastly different directions. And so that's that's one of the one of the uh, hardships and one of the difficulties of that movement of kind of uniting everyone. Hmm. All right. So I see where you're going with this. Now. I mean, but any, I mean, someone could say, though, that at the end of the day, though, discipleship is, is pushing someone closer and closer towards Jesus, that, right? Is it, would you agree with that, or do you think it's a little bit more than that? Um, I would say it's a little bit more than that. All right, go on. Um, so Acts 2.42, um, it states, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread, in fellowship, and in prayers. The first thing that determines... I would see that as a logical progression of things that happened in the, the first century church. In the first church on the day of Pentecost, there was those that gladly received the word, Acts 2.41. Then it was the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine was second. And then after that, they could now partake in the breaking of bread. Now, because they were partaking of the breaking of bread, they had fellowship with one another. And now that they had fellowship with one another, they could pray with one another. And so it's a logical progression that I don't think it's just pushing people closer to Christ. It's also pushing them into the doctrine that we would hold from the Word of God. All right. I, I, yeah, that, 
when you put it like that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, Dan, do you have any thoughts on that? Or or just like, would you agree with that? Or yeah, do you I mean, have a, I, mean I agree or? to Acts 2.42, you know, and, and what the what the funny thing is about the last line of that verse is it says, and the Lord added to their number daily. Right. Yeah. Meaning mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I think so often we get this, let's be let's be new guest focused, which, which we should be. Let's be excellent in our worship program, which we should be. Like, if you just abide by Acts 2.42, and you live in true, authentic community like that, the Lord's going to add to your number daily as a right. church in the church Amen. group. Like, forget about outreach techniques and, and seconds. Just abide in the scripture and make right. disciples, and the Lord's going to add to your number just like that as a church. And so, you know, I, we firmly believe that's actually, you know, the scripture for our, our home groups basis, life groups material that we, that we, that we launch at our churches is we really believe in, in the Acts 242 method that the true, authentic community is based out of those things. You right. know, is gathering mm-hmm. around the doctrine, is gathering around the word of God, gathering around true community mm-hmm. and so may, maybe that looks different in your church um you know for us it's a home groups you know avenue it's not the sunday morning experience but more of that true community in small groups so. i think right. that, that, that there's a key that 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 you said and i think that the, this is what can be so um divisive among even the protestant movement is that word doctrine i think that yeah is really where a lot yep. of that 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 comes up because i mean i know for a fact that assemblies of god doctrine and do you guys have a? Den- I mean, do you, Rob? Do you call yourself a denomination at all, or what, what would you label? Um, what, what would I call your church? Basically, what we always put on our signs is Christians gather the name of the Lord Jesus. We don't claim any title or okay, which is fair. But you guys obviously adhere to a pretty. I mean, it's definitely biblically sound as far as you can find all that in the Bible. But how right. it's interpreted is pretty for pretty, most people not too common, right? Probably rigid. Yeah, you know, more so. All right, yeah, that's yeah, fine. I think culture, I think that's culture today. Definitely a fair right. statement. Definitely more rigid. So that doctrinal difference, though, that I think is the key for that great divide um, among. I guess I, I guess to put it simply, like you know, if 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 Rob, if your view of a Sunday morning service, um, and if I'm wrong, of course, correct me, please. Um, is you know, hey, this is really meant for the believer to worship uh, the Father uh, specifically, and that's kind of the focus of that. And and also, we take the New Testament very literally. Therefore, we don't have A, B, and C things during that service. And then Dan, your doctrine is more of well, you know, we. We don't take it as as rigid, like you said, and we right. think that there's room for instruments, and that, that really, also, as someone who's seeking the Lord, could come out to a Sunday morning and could also find God that way. And I think when you know, I think when you have those two different views of what a Sunday morning uh, could be, let alone a whole doctrinal, um, I guess, just uh, theology, yep. it can it can make way for some kind of you know just separation there. But my question is, well, where do you find common ground, and how do we how do we build the bridge? Because at the end of the day, guys, and we all agree here, we're spending heaven together, Absolutely. and I don't think at the right. end of the day that Absolutely. God's going to go one way or the other with, well, you guys had drums in the church, and you guys didn't. You know, right. well, well done, Mr. More Holy Than Thou. You might disagree, but you know at the end of the day, you know at the end of the day, I don't think God really is, is that concerned with that with that particular issue, so to speak. We can agree to disagree. Fine. And we will agree to disagree. That's fine. You know, but th- th- that's the question. Is how, do, how, do, how do we build these bridges together? You know, I think it's a matter of culture and context. And so, you know, I, I just very, very see Paul on his three missionary journeys doing three very different things to reach people for Christ. And so on his first journey, he's going to speak to the Jews. And so he uses the Old Testament. 
He's very fluent in adhering to the law and the Old Testament and the scriptures and, and stuff that they know. And then he goes to the Greek and he's he's quoting, you know, Stoic philosophy and preaching, right. you know, near their 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 temples and, and, and saying about the unknown God. And then he pulls the gospel right into it. And then, you know, to the Christian church, he, he speaks, you know, with, to the Christians and, and trains leaders and trains pastors. And so, you know, I think for us today, it's how do we do church in a 21st century where the gospel message stays the same, but methods have to change. And I think in order to be relevant, you know, kind of on our end, what I'm seeing is, you know, maybe that Sunday morning experience, you know, incorporates lights or incorporates a stage design or has has music. I, I think that's why I'm more open to that is because, you know, the methods are going to change over time. Change the only constant that we can guarantee. But our message of the gospel must stay the same. So that would probably be my thoughts, you know, in that sense. So. So what do you think, Rob? Um. I, I would say there are different avenues that the gospel can go forth, definitely. There's no doubt about it. And I pray daily that the Lord will bless wherever his gospel is going forth. It doesn't Amen. Just because it's Amen. not how I would go forth with it right. doesn't mean that God can't bless it. There's been plenty of preachers that have spoken doctrinally things that I wouldn't agree with, but God has seen blessing through that as well. Absolutely. Um, but it, it's, those, it's those issues that make it harder to have that Ecumenicalism, I think, is the the technical term of gathering people together and sure. and uniting under one interdenominational faith. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But let me ask you this question because it is one that I am thinking about as well that I, I want your your thoughts on. Um, you know, I think Dan brings up a really good point with um, how do we keep the gospel the same, same Christ, not watering down his message. Um, right. You know, the, the, right. the heart right. of, of what he's doing, what he did in the cross. But methods are a little more flexible. Um, why would you not agree with that? Because frankly, I mean, you know, you're obviously the, the body that you guys, that you're a part of has really not changed as far as the New Testament word for word, you know, um, I guess, uh, system goes. Are you worried about becoming to the, or getting, get, getting to the point where, where that church kind of dies out because no one is coming in who's fresh because it's just such a, frankly, antiquated way of thinking about it? Um... I'm not worried about that because we've seen numbers added. So it's it's not that people are looking at us and going, oh, you guys are out of date. I'm going to go find somewhere else. Uh, it's more based on truth. Are, are we attracting people because we have a good show? Sure. Or yeah. are we attracting people because they say, oh, this is where the truth of God is upheld? Right. And I think that's not to name anyone here in particular, but of course. a lot of churches are going that way where they're trying to draw people in because of entertainment, because sure. of the programs that they have, where we really should be drawing people in because of Christ, because of the truth that he instills, because of doctrine that we hold. And that's one of the things that's being compromised in this age is truth versus numbers. And I think even in the salvation game, a lot of people are preaching a gospel not that is super clear, but that's so that they can go back to their home church and say, well, we saw 10,000 people saved this weekend. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on it. Um, I, I guess just for me, though, I, I got to and I, and I got to I got to just challenge the process a little bit. I, 
I got to say that I'm comfortable for whatever reason people want to come to church as long as we preach the gospel message at church. And so if it's a relationship that drew you there or if it was an entertainment factor that drew you there or, or it's an engaging speaker who can work the audience but, but is then going to reel in what the gospel is about, that it really is an all-in pursuit of Christ and that you are, you are going to have surrender and it is going to cost you something. I mean, David Platt and Radical says the gospel costs everything, but the cost of the gospel is so much worth it to give than the cost to live for the world and for Satan. You know, at the end of the day, that, that there is a cost. And so I think if you have someone who's going to lay it out and be honest in that way, I mean, we just look at, you know, and, and I don't really agree with a lot of actions that happen, but let's just look at Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill. You know, they, they I mean, they saw this pattern happening where, you know, he's preaching and he's in the city of Seattle, a, a city very hostile to the gospel. And they didn't know what to do because the church is growing and they, they can't, you know, you know, build on top of it. The Seattle wouldn't even allow them to get building permits. And so he trained all of these pastors and established them along the way of where they mapped out people were coming. And they found that people were still bypassing all of those pastors who had been trained by Driscoll, preaching the same series, same message to hear him preach. And so I don't know where the balance is in that today because, you know, the man's laying out the gospel, but he's trained these pastors who are preaching the gospel and they're just coming to see him. And so that's really where the whole satellite campus launched is because is the church being built on just an entertaining man who can just preach and is just gifted and is talented or, you know, is the church really being built by disciples who are coming to hear the gospel? So, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of push back on myself even a little bit too with that example. Well, so. that, yeah, and, you know, as you were talking, I, I was thinking, Dan, you know, one of my thoughts is that, well— I feel like the past maybe 30 years, the 70s, kind of up to now, we've tried the mega church, the big yep. show mentality, and yep. where it's got us is that we have a nation that thinks it's somehow a Christian nation or that most people that you would ask down in, in, in Cherry Hill Mall over here, are you a Christian? Most most or a good amount would say, oh, yeah, I'm definitely a Christian. Especially in the South. Right. It, oh, especially go in the to, South. Go to right? church and watch football. Right. It's, so you know. so, <laughs> so I almost feel like you know I can understand what, why Rob has the views he has in a lot of ways because when you – look at what we've been doing, which has kind of been some of that showmanship and, well, here's this big event. It's kind of gotten us to a point where a lot of people think that they're saved, but there's no fruit, there's no discipleship, yep. and these churches live for this Sunday morning event, and there's no community outside of that. I mean, frankly, I don't really think that mega churches are really anywhere in the Bible a biblical thing. Now, people will say, well, well, hold on, Tim, the day of Pentecost, thousands were added. Yeah, I agree with that, sure, but I don't think that a thousand people every Sunday morning were meeting in one building. I think right. they, were, they, they were meeting in homes that right. were smaller and smaller all over the place. Sure, the gospel movement's humongous, but right. how, how you celebrate that, who you're doing life with, you can't do it with a thousand people. It is physically impossible for me to be in community with even 50 people let alone a thousand yeah, of them. Yeah, I think, I think the statistic is if you're like an, uh, an amazing level 10 leader, you can have ongoing relationships with 35 people at one time. Right. Which is just like... That's so unfathomable. Uh, impossible for me. Exactly. So, you know, I... So, I, I mean, you know, I, I look at this and I go, well, I kind of feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place because... I don't want to compromise the heart of the gospel. Heck, forget the heart. I don't want to compromise the gospel. Period. Right. right. I, I don't want to lose. Um, I don't want to lose what Jesus is all about. I don't want to lose repentance. I don't want to lose the heart of it. I don't want to lose what He did. I also, though, don't want to put. You know, um, uh, it's it's like putting lipstick on a pig. You know, like I I, I don't want to take the, this really ugly thing and dress it up and say, oh, Jesus is here when He's really not, and it's just kind of one big event. Um, so I I get very. I get very, uh, I guess, kind of just torn here because I, I don't want to try and over, 
you know, well, hey, look at look at all of our huge lights and look at our huge show. This right. is Jesus. And really, that's kind of like almost kind of like bait to get someone into some doors. Sure. At the same time, Rob, frankly, you know, I couldn't really imagine attending a Sunday morning where with, 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 what, with, with what you describe happens because that just sounds utterly, you know, just kind of boring, frankly. I mean, I love you, man. You know that. And right. I, I'm, not, I'm not knocking what you guys right. do, but I just couldn't see me doing that either. So I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Solve my problems. <laughs> Just kidding. You don't have to do that. But, but that sense, I will though? push back a little bit, though, and say, you know, in the Old Testament, when you look at Solomon building that temple, I mean, how ornate and detailed the instructions were of the Lord and the quality that was put in it and the gold and the cedars and the woods and the, you know, the colors and, and the excellence in which that temple. And it was a it was a house for the Lord. And so I think what we do in the house on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights and our midweeks and our small, you know, need to be done with excellence and need to be done, you know, with knowing that. You know, our God is a God of order, and he says what you do, do with excellence and do unto the Lord. Whatever you do, you're doing unto me. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, now you need to steer that with heart that this is going to be a heart of worship that we do everything. It's not we're just doing it excellent so we can draw more people. But, you know, I, I do also see that our God is, you know, you know, very detailed, you know, very ornate, you know, and, and just in the things that were described to the old in building his temple. And so I think in building his church today, sometimes people, you know, get hesitant, you know, or, or get, you know, pushed back. Oh, oh, that was, that was too excellent on the worship. You know, that was well, you, I think too nice on the kids ministry. I think that, that there's a difference between just wanting, wanting to be excellent um, at something or, or with some, with, with a group of people and just kind of being um, consumeristic about things. Right. I, I think a great example right. is, you know, kind of going back to what you said, you kind of mentioned that, you know, in the Old Testament, God was very detailed, of course, very true, huge plans laid out. Um, that's because that's where the Holy Spirit dwelled at the time. You know, people went into the holies of holies. They, the Holy Spirit was not living inside of people, but thanks to Christ and him tearing the veil, the Holy Spirit's inside of us now. So even that terminology of, I, and I grew up hearing it, welcome to the house of the Lord, really is not a true statement because he does not reside in a building. He doesn't. He's inside yep. of us. Yep. What I get stuck on is that I, and, and this is where as, especially as a musician who wants to do things with excellence, who wants to record well, who wants to do those things, I have a hard time when I when I look at some church buildings, especially down south or even in this area, that have multi-million dollar systems, multi-million dollar you know buildings, and there's poor in Camden, you yeah. know, ten miles yep. away. Yep. There, yep. There, there, there's the poor in Cherry Hill or the poor wherever it is. I'm thinking, yep. is this really the best use of our funds? That's where I, again, this is, yeah. this is me just kind of being real here. I don't know. I, I don't, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, when we call something the church and we say, hey, give money to this, it's, it's, it, the money's God's, and we take the majority of that money and we're in debt up to our eyeballs and we're, we're, we owe all this money on a huge building, all for the sake of building, even if we call it God's kingdom, it looks like we're kind of building our own church kingdom. Right. And, and that's where I really get stuck. I right. Get stuck big time there. I, I think the problem falls when, yeah, you're, you're trying to build your kingdom instead of building the church and so I, I you know I think as a pastor you know just one thing you know I like to do is just look at budget breakdown like what percentage are we giving to missions what percentage is straight outreach just to bless people you know who are just in need what what percentage is straight going to benevolence people in the church who are coming forward and say 
you know, we're struggling this money to pay rent, you know, and then what, what percentage goes to procedures and operations and salaries? And then what percentage just is allotted to budgets to run the ministries of the church? And I think that's where you just got to align your, your priorities based on what the word of God says, you know, that he's, he calls you to care for the poor. He calls you to care for the needy. Um, in the same time, he does call you to fulfill the ministries and, and, and the purposes of the church too. So just making sure that your percentages, you know, are in line with, with what's biblical and what the Lord's laid on your heart. You know, do I have a problem with people building multi-million dollar facilities and then forsaking doing no outreach? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ooh, I got to breathe for a minute. This is really good. I don't want to stop, you know. Um, yeah, I, again, I, I hear what you're saying, Dan. It's just something that, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm comfortable in that tension now more than ever. But sure. You know, especially back in the day in my uh, in my real wild days of church rebellion, you know, I mean, I had a really hard time swallowing that pill because yeah. um, yep. it's just something. I don't know, Rob. I mean, obviously, you know, you take a completely opposite stance on that 100 percent. No one gets paid at um, at really, I guess, at your church or at, at your church meetings. And no, right. there's really I mean, besides the building, which is which is small, and has very little overhead. Where else does, does any of your money go to? Because you guys obviously tithe or you or you give to the church. Right. So where does that money go um, in, in your church body? Uh, I would say the majority of it just goes out to support missionaries, support gospel preachers that are doing it full time, going across the country and just holding series of gospel meetings. It's where the majority, I'd say over 75% of our money goes is just for those things. Obviously, we need to pay for electric. We need to pay for put gas in our van to pick up kids from Camden. But I would say the majority of our money is, is just going back out and serving the needs of people that need it in the gospel. Mm. I think money is a really tough issue because we live in a culture of excess. Yep. And yep. Um, and I think especially for millennials, um, we have a hard time giving money to anyone because we are automatically skeptical because we know that everyone wants our money. Yep. I know that, that the car dealership wants my money. I know that the infomercial on TV wants my money. I know that my tech company, you know, my, my phone company, they want my money. And so when I hear a preacher saying, well, do you really trust God with your money? You know, do you believe that God will open up the storehouses of, of wealth when you it's the give? only thing he says to test you on in and, the Bible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you kind of go like, uh, am I being scammed out of something? Because you have those TBN preachers who sell the freaking prayer clause. It gets me so angry sure. to people for $300, $400. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like what a, what a distortion of, of, of really just biblical giving as a whole. Um, I think that millennials are really skeptical because I think that they have a hard time trusting. Now, I've gotten a lot of pushback on that on that thought process that I have with from a lot of people, pastors, good friends of mine, because they'll always say, well, Tim, you know, do you just trust that, that where the money is going, it goes, and that God will work with it? And while I do, I still want to be responsible with my money. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. just spend my money out willy-nilly, and I definitely, if I give, I don't want to have this expectation of, okay, God, I gave, so where's my, where's, where's my increase? You know, why am I not seeing a big your check in the mail that, that that just randomly shows up like like the TBM preacher told me. It's and, really a tough and spot. And I think one of the things that we have lost sight of in local churches now is in the New Testament when Paul was giving those directions for New Testament giving, he he didn't say you need to give 10% and if you go to any local body you need to give them 10%. All of his directions were based on a local body where their members where right. they're members of that church. They didn't, it wasn't, hey, invite your neighbor and your friends and get money from them. It was if you're a member of that local body, you're going to get 
you're going to give because you care about your brothers and sisters that are sitting in the in the circle with you. You care about your brothers and sisters that are that are sharing this bread and wine with you. And so they had all things in common where today we have people coming into the church have know nothing about the doctrine, know nothing about what they teach and are giving money because they feel forced almost to do so. And that's a really wrong interpretation of what Paul was talking about in giving. We shouldn't be really be giving to anyone unless we know, okay, I agree with this teaching. I agree with this doctrine. I remember one of the members of our church, he was um, having conversation just about his, he, he, uh, he's Haitian, and he goes to Haiti a lot. And one lady that he worked with um, was like, I, I know you go to Haiti. I want to give you some money to support your work. And he said, I can't accept your money. I have doctrinal differences that I'm going to teach from what you would believe. And your money would be going to a place that you wouldn't support. I can't take your money because it, it wouldn't be right for me to do so. And she was like, no, I actually believe that, and thank you for doing that. Where I would say most people would just be like, oh, yeah, sure, give me that money, and I'm going to go. Interesting. Very interesting take on that, for sure. I mean, I saw, I saw your head stewing over there, Dan. Do you have any <laughs> thoughts about that? Well, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with you in the sense that, you know, I, I think anything that we see in the Old Testament law, Jesus even takes to a second level in the New Testament. You know, so in, in, in a lot of senses where people say, you know, the New Testament is all about grace, the New Testament is all about covenant and redemption, you know. I, I see in the Old Testament when it says, you know, don't sleep with, you know, this this girl, you know, or if you committed adultery in the New Testament says, if you even look lustfully, you right. know, it's almost hard. You've already committed adultery, you know, don't murder, you know, in the old Testament, in the New Testament says, if you even look upon someone with anger, you've already committed murder in your heart. And so I think the tithe in the old Testament is just the baseline when it comes to the new Testament, that if we're just doing the tithe in the church, we're, we're probably, we're doing just the minimum of the old Testament law. They're really, you know, the new Testament actually said they gave until the need was met. Oh, you know, they amen. came together and, and they met the need. And, you know, I believe tithe, you know, and, and we teach this at our churches. Tithe is just baseline. You know, we, we, we do missions, faith, promise, which is additional. We give to building funds. We give, you know, when needs come up because, you know, we believe that, that we serve a big God who says to, to test him, you know. Right. And, and so our responsibility then as a pastoral staff is to be good stewards of what, the, mm -hmm. of what money comes in. And so, you know, just practically, you know, we account for every penny that goes in. You know, we, we, we put, fill out purchase requests and we, you know, take care of, you know, credit card receipts and turn everything in to make sure that, you know, from a stewardship side that we're being accountable with, with people's money and, and good resources of that. Yeah, and that's, so, that's definitely great to do. That's, yeah. that's how it should be done. And I totally agree with you that, if you're if you're just going oh well the new old testament says 10% that's what i'm going to give number one you're giving for the wrong reasons right it should be right. out of a it's a, a hard, hard issue exactly. it's a hard issue and and we we believe this at our church and i i firmly believe this that that money is directly tied to the heart and and you giving is actually a form of growth and discipleship and so we we see when people are really growing on our church when their tithes and money starts giving because nobody's going to give to something unless the Lord is really calling them or propelling them to give. You can give a one-time gift because you can be compelled or the, you know, the, the pastor can stir you up and you can get emotional, but you're, you know, you're not going to commit giving month after month when financial struggles come or when, you know, the rents do, or, you know, it, it's tax season and, and the taxes are coming or you're sending your kids to college. And, and so that's really a great, great sign to me because I, I, I firmly believe 
you know, money's connected to the heart, and you can't serve both money and serve God. So, do you think that um, that people can give um, in different ways that are not related to a particular church, and that still be counted as uh, as a faithful, you know, in, in giving yeah. heart? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think I would still suggest like the tithe is the baseline, but I think additional, you know, needs to just meet people. You know, what you, what you did for that man on the homeless street is you did onto Christ. You know, it's it's what His Word says, and so it's not something for you to be parading about or, or to tell people about because once again motive and heart issue behind things but you know i i think that you know as the body of christ we're just called to bless people we're called to be the most giving the most happy the most joyful you know what should separate us from the world is that there's an unexplainable joy peace and cheerfulness about our hearts that can't be matched that when we go through storms or we go through trials that somebody could look us in the eye and say tim you know, why are you peace at peace now? Or why are you joyful? Or why are you giving to me now in your financial obligation? And that should be an opportunity for us to share the gospel right there. So, yeah, okay, here's one, one other way to look at it. How about, um, how about volunteers um, who volunteer at church events, you know, consistently who give sure. them time? Sure. Um, can that be considered a, really a form of tithing in a sense? Because I think about a lot of people, even myself included, who, you know, we, we willingly and happily give hours with musical talent or yes. leadership talent or, or, you know, whatever else it could be chaperoning a youth group. Yeah. You know, can, can, can a believer not really be the biggest financial giver, but be a huge time giver? Absolutely. And will that still kind of count as far as how the church sees that person's spiritual maturity? Because I think it's, it's slightly a dangerous game to play when we go, well, depending on, depending on how much you give us is really dependent upon how, you know, well, that, that, that tells me how mature in Christ you are. Sure. Sure. Maybe sure. not the always the best litmus test, but sure. definitely one indication. Yeah. But how I, about someone who's giving time consistently, who maybe gets paid for, let's say a professional uh, musician, you know, he says, you know what, instead of me charging the church, this is how I make a living. I'm just going to play for free whenever you guys need me to. Right. Can that be seen as well as a way of giving? Well, I believe, you know, two things that you're never more like Christ than when you're serving and when you're giving. You know, I firmly believe that. So I, I think serving is absolutely. But let's just let's just pause for a moment. And, and, and before we even talk about money, because, you know, I'll, I'll be the last person to kind of fight for money on an issue. I, I almost sheepishly kind of back away on some things, you know, even though I have my beliefs. But let's just talk about tithing our time for the Lord. Like, like, where has it gone from the day that, like, you know, spending an hour or two in the morning in prayer and worship on the Lord, personal time, you know, a tithe of our day, then serving the local church. And then when it comes to Sunday, you know, a tithe financially. I mean, that's that's the tithe that Christ is looking for is it and that he's looking for a full, complete devotion of our hearts. And and so it goes way, way beyond money. And, and you know, I'm not even concerned about the money. Like. How's your heart, man? Like, have you spent time with Jesus today? You know, have you have you served your local church today? So, absolutely, you know, tithe goes much, much yeah, beyond money. I I think on that on that regard, there's there's really five areas that we can count that God has given us as a stewardship. He's going to take account of our things. What would we do with our things? Right. He's going to take account of what we do. What do we do with our talents? Did we did we serve Him with our talents? Uh, with our ties, did we serve Him? Did we give? Um, with our tongues, we're going to have to answer yeah. for our tongues. Every word. Um, yeah. And now the last one is escaping me. Is it money? No, that was that was tithe. Was oh. it, did I say tithe? I thought. Uh, well, go back from, from from the top of the list. All right. Number one. Things. Things. Number two. Our talents. Number three. Our tithing. Number four. Our tongues. Number five. And our time. Boom. So, which is what you were getting onto. That's what right. made me think of it. And those are things that that God's going to look at our life, and He's he, He's going to say, I, 
I gave you these as a stewardship. What did you do with them? Did you bless people? Did you further the gospel? Did you further my word? Did you further me? Did you bring glory to me? Or was it all about what we were saying earlier with these some of these mega churches and places that are building their own kingdom? That they're they're going to have to answer for that someday, yeah. and I'm going to have to answer for that someday. Yeah, and and ultimately, you know, and this is a mandate from scriptures that pastors and leaders are going to be judged based on how they cared for their church and cared for their congregation at a different standard than just yeah, people. Definitely. You know, and so that's something that we'll have to answer. To I someday. want to hit something you said that I never heard it put like that, and it just hit me. Um, I think you said something to the something something to to the effect of tithing your time, yeah. as far as like uh, like your morning like tithe. Or I, I I don't know how you phrase that, but yeah. So so for me, how I kind of look at it is there's 24 hours in a day, you know, and so so what do I need to do in my prayer life? to tithe 24 hours a day to the Lord in my prayer time. And that work. is awesome. And I so have never thought about it that's like that kind before. of how I just view, you know, what's my prayer and, and devotion going to look like? What's my service going to look like? Man, do I, do I really want to take out students and invest money in them when, when, you know, I'm trying to pay bills and trying to save and trying to go, but you know, like to be wrung out for the gospel, that means I'm going to give my time and I'm going to give my money to disciple students and take them out for this meeting. You know, yeah, it, absolutely. If, if I, if I want to lead a, a lead a movement of students and, and in the church, you know, what, what does my prayer time need to look like? How much time mm -hmm. do I need to invest in that? You know, I'm reminded of Leonard Ravenhill, you know, amazing revival speaker saying that, you know, he said, I, I don't know if you can be effective as a pastor or a leader if you're not spending an hour a day in prayer, you know. And so yeah. I, I just think that yeah, that's just been such a concept that there's so many gifted leaders. There's so many talented people and creative people. But but how's your heart today? Like with the Lord, you know, how, do you know his word? You know, you, you came up with a creative way to preach a message. But like, do you, do you has his word changed you? Well, like, I, think the, you know? I think the question is, like, are you in sync with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Today. Yes. And that's something that we talked about on our last podcast. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think that is such a missing part of the uh, modern day Christian faith. Something that I wrestle with myself that I have to fight for is I think to myself, okay, Tim, did you read your Bible? That's great. You, I guess on, on a moral list, you can check that off as one right. good moral thing. Right. But were you in sync with the Holy Spirit? Were you communing with the person of Jesus in that time? Yep. And are you aware of him right now while you're at work or while you're driving? That to me is, is, is the meat of the gospel is the fact that we are reconciled to, to God, that we are, re are in relationship, an ongoing Adam style, you know, yeah. back, back to the, the, uh, the, uh, the creation story, walking with God daily kind of relationship. And are we aware of that? Yep. And that for me is, is what I have a hard time getting into that rhythm of consistently because I do have times where sure I'll pray, but I think, well, was that just me talking to myself or was I really listening yes. for yep. the voice of God in yep. my head? But, and, and I've noticed that when I'm in sync with him, my days are not necessarily better. They're just, they're different. And they are, uh, they're more fulfilling, and I, I feel better about my day as a whole because I feel like, okay, I was in sync today with the one who is the author of all life. And that's really what life is really about at the end of, at that's the, it. At the, end of the day, right that's there. That's it, yep. Completely. So that is, uh, that's awesome. But, man, I mean, I feel like we covered so many <laughs> topics today. I, I mean, an hour has flown by. I can't believe it's been 53 minutes already um, into the podcast because I feel like we can just – go and go and go and go and go and dan i want to have you back on the podcast again man because this was a really good in my opinion just a great conversation you, great you, dynamics. Let, you let me know we'll make it happen again great absolutely for sure, great. Absolutely. I mean, for sure. it was it's awesome but I, I think i think that 
for our listeners out there who have stuck with us, first off, let me say thank you for listening because um, I can't listen to anything for an hour, let alone you know <laughs> three, three guys talk. So um, thanks for hanging in there. But I think the challenge for all of us as followers of Christ is asking the question, are we in sync? You know, are, are we communing with the Father consistently, and are we listening to His voice and how He leads us? Because at the end of the day, I mean, clearly there there is no one black and white way to do the Christian walk. Because I even think about us in this room, three different guys, three pretty different perspectives on a lot of different things, but we agree on what is the foundation of the faith. You know, the death of Christ, the resurrection, yep. forgiveness of sins, that mentality, and that is what has got to bind us. We might even have different um, evangelistic ways of outreaching. We, we might have different ways of, of doing a Sunday morning gathering. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's still about Christ. I mean, the reason why, why Dan, why you gather on Sunday morning and why Del Rand gathers is not because of the drums or because of the show, but because we want to worship Christ. Amen. And the Amen. reason why, you Amen. know, Rob gathers and the, the reason why Rob uh, is part of a congregation that, that does it that particular way is because they want to pursue the heart of Christ as well. It's Amen. not about just doing rituals and about, you know, putting, you know, uh, a covering on, on a woman's head and about, you know, just preaching stuff. It's about, well, are we pursuing the heart of God? Amen. So that root is so similar, which I love. And I almost kind of want to celebrate that diversity, that God is such a diverse God where he didn't spell out every way to do church in the New Testament. There, you're not going to find this, here's Paul saying, okay, guys, here's what you do every Sunday morning. Step one, step two, step three. It's a little open there. It's it, it's flexible in that sense. And I think that's really a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. So, which I think is awesome. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, just, just agree with you, Tim, and, and appreciate, you know, the heart, you know, behind this podcast and just that we can get together. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just think that, you know, you know, all of life comes down to just, you know, two things is know God and make him known. And so, you know, if, if you're passionate about the gospel, then, then be rung out for the gospel, you know, wherever you are, just, just be all there and be authentic. And yeah. that's, you know, that's what I think it's about. It doesn't matter, you know, the worship style or, or what you believe, you know, I think ultimately there are core issues and, and hills that, that we as the church have to, have to fight on, you know, Trinity, that's an issue I'm fighting sure, on, sure, you know, right. like Jesus' death definitely. and, and physical resurrection. 100%. That's a hill I'm going to fight on, definitely. you know, uh, you know, you know, if you have drums on stage on worship, that's <laughs> right. a hill we're not going to fight right. on, it's, you know. There are really molehills and then there are, are actual mountains, yes. you know, and, and to plant a flag on a molehill and say, this is where I take my stand. Exactly. That is where you lose the battle. Yep. Um, important things like Trinity, you know, death and resurrection of Christ, um, the Bible, those are, are just some core issues there that, uh, that like you said, I, I just won't give up ground on. There are just certain things in my life that I say, listen, yep. we're going to disagree and I'm not even going to engage that discussion because we're never going to see eye to eye on it. Right. And I trust that, you know, I'm accountable for God or uh, to God with these beliefs and you're accountable to him for yours. And, right. And that's not my, it's not my job to convince you otherwise. It's the Holy Spirit's job, but I'm not even engaging that, that, that discussion. It's going to go nowhere. Yeah. yeah. It, kind of, it reminds me of the disciples when they came to the Lord and they were like, Lord, there's these people over there and they're casting out demons in your name, but they're not with us. What do you want us to do about it. He says, don't worry about them. Let them do what they're doing. You worry about what I have commanded you to do. And I think that's something we, that I sometimes can lose sight of, but I constantly remind myself, I'm not here to be the worship police. I'm not here to be the church police. I'm not here to be the doctrine police. Yes, as Tim said, I'm going to be accountable for the truth that God has revealed to me. I'm not going to be accountable for the truth that God has revealed to Tim or to you, Dan. And so I, I'm going to stand on the truth that I have, but at, as, it said, as we pointed out, when it comes to the gospel, we're going to go all in for the gospel in the same manner that Christ 
was buried. Well, Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose the third day according to the scriptures. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, on that a great note of agreement, you know, I want to thank everyone out there uh, listening to the podcast and, you know, um, kind of changing uh, subject real quick while we close out here. We do have a brand new website, right, Rob? Uh, we do. And uh, it's pretty awesome. But we also now have an official email. All thanks to Rob as well. So, Rob, what is our official email? Well, if you want to write to us about the blog, you can write to admin at coffeetheologyandjesus.com. If you want to write to us about the podcast, it's podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com. You are so smart. I know. It's true. We, we actually had someone who did email us who we don't know who, who said, we love the podcast. And I go, yeah. wow, we <laughs> yeah. got a fan that we don't know? That's yeah, awesome. I got that so. email, and I immediately sent a text to, to Tim, and I was like, Tim, we have a fan that we don't know. And so, we, our minds were blown. So how many people listen per week? You get you, some of your buddies? You well, know, yeah, a lot it? of our buddies, stuff like that. Um, we had about 100 when, 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 when we could actually track it on SoundCloud. Right. But, but now, now that we're doing the iTunes thing, it's harder to track. Uh, but we don't really know, but I've gotten only good things, and I've gotten some great feedback from people that we don't know, or, you know, I think actually your wife, right, was saying um, someone who was in some kind of relationship <laughs> or distance relationship, you know, reached out and said, I didn't know that Rob was podcasting. Well, here, here, here it is, podcasting. So, anyway, well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Of course, feel free to share the podcast. If you have any ideas for topics, let us know, and uh, we will uh, talk to you guys next week. Have a great night. <laughs>